0: Two, two a swing a long Deep left. Way hey everybody welcome to another baseball america podcast the first of the new year i'm kyle glazer joined by jj cooper
1: Hello, hello everybody happy new year
0: we've finished up our al prospects podcast we're moving on to the national league now the Braves. This was Baseball America's number one farm system two years in a row, 2017, 2018. We saw the rebuild happening. It landed a year early compared to a lot of people's expectations. The Braves went out and won the National League East. One of the most exciting teams in baseball. We saw minor league player the year, Ronald Acuna, come up. We saw Ozzy Albies develop. We saw a cavalcade of big young arms come through uh, in big spots, both during the regular season and the postseason. The Braves are one of the more fun teams in baseball now. Uh, You've tracked this system for some time now. You even had a cover story yeah. on them uh, when Fr- they were all babies.
1: Frighteningly, I, I was actually went back and found an old scorebook. I've been tracking the system now for... Uh, Well, I guess I first covered the Braves in 1991. I was there for the worst, 92. I was there, I covered the 92 team for the Atlanta paper as a backup uh, beat writer, as an intern. I was four. So so I can say, yeah, uh, over a quarter century of covering this team. So that frightens me now to think about that. You've seen the highs, you've seen the lows. Just what's your overall assessment of where the Braves are
0: right now when you take into account the talent at the major league level and what's still coming up behind them in the farm system?
1: it's a good position to be in i mean and I, and i say that because I, not everything worked out for them last year but most everything did 90 wins last year without doing any moves that really negatively impacted their long term uh you know forecast they they made moves but the the trades for kevin Gossman, for brad brack for you know for other relievers other incidental pieces, none of them involve trading guys who are significant uh, future uh, contributors, none of that. They, they managed to succeed while still building for the future as well, which is important because they are in a division now where the Mets are going for it again. You know, I still don't know. I mean, they keep saying they're going for it. I, I still, I mean, they've made moves, but I still think, you know, they've made a big move. But I, I still do think that, uh, that they still have, you know, room to go. The Phillies are also in a rebuilding process. Their rebuild, I think, went a little bit more, really, normally, uh, you know, which I think people look at and say, oh, how disappointing they were at the end of the year. But the problem the Phillies have, and they're obviously still very much expected to be in it from Manny Machado and or Bryce Harper. The problem they have, though, is, is that the Braves right now have this core, Acuna, Freeman, Albies, and the Phillies do not have that cornerstone player or ideally two or three. They don't have those.
0: You could argue Nola and Hoskins, but at the same point, I would agree with you that if you look at the overall pieces the Braves had, have at the major league level, it's better than the pieces the Phillies have overall at the major league level. And while the Phillies do have some very talented players in their farm system, I also believe the Braves have a better farm system. So at both levels, the Braves are ahead of the Phillies, which you're right, does make it kind of tricky to see the Phillies' path moving forward to National League East dominance. They can be good. Although,
1: again, the thing that they could do, that the Braves seem categorically unwilling to do, the the Braves went out and signed Josh Donaldson to a very massive one-year deal. What the Braves seem unwilling to do and even with a new stadium and new revenues that come with that, and having had a, having basically banked salary, you know, in trades and all in the past, um, they are not willing to spend large amounts of money on the free agent market. It you, would appear.
0: You mean stupid money, quote unquote, to quote the Phillies owner. Now they obviously haven't spent it yet, but we know they're willing to, right. and they're looking. Right, and at again, doing so.
1: you add a Bryce Harper or a Manny Machado you have that cornerstone piece that you may have lacked uh, the day before that's something the Braves are not seeming uh, willing to do but the Braves also again because of this have less need to do this the Braves every one of these teams has a window I, I don't care if you're the Yankees there are windows the Braves window opened last year it should be open for several years to come
0: in that on that note it's You can never really predict. So many things can change in three years and five mm-hmm. years. At the same time, when you look at Major League Baseball teams right now, for you, are the Braves the single team that is best positioned to win consistently over the next five years? You look at the Dodgers. You look at the Rays who won 90 games, have a really good system. There are other teams that are also winning 90-plus games, have good farm systems, have some financial might, particularly in the Dodgers case. Are the Braves the single best position team for you?
1: No. And I would go with a team like the Dodgers, like the Astros, because they they have the combination of depth, young talent, you know, in in many cases. The Dodgers have proven the ability now that they can take one scrappy player a year and turn them into a cornerstone-type player. They have excellent player development that way. Um, But the big thing is is that I think— The Braves have a corporate ownership that has not demonstrated a willingness. This is a line item. This is not, you know, again, you are talking about the difference of having an owner. I do not have a confidence that the Braves, if they need to go to 180 million, like even take the Royals. The Royals are, you know, a small rev, low rev, small market kind of team. When they were in it though, their owner said, you know what? Yeah, if we need to go to $130, 130 million, we go to $130 million. I don't. I have not seen anything to indicate that the Braves are willing to, when they get to that point, do that. And at some point, they're going to need to. At some point, Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies and all these guys who just arrived... They're all going to hit arbitration. They're all going to hit arbitration at the same time. And... That should not, again, when you talk about baseball in 2021, 2022, the fact that those players are all going to all of a sudden start demanding larger checks because they've earned them, and all of a sudden a payroll that was sitting at 100, 110 is going to need to go to 150, there's no reason that a team like the Braves shouldn't be able to go to 150, 160, 170, 180. And I don't know, if I'm comparing them to a team like the Dodgers, I would... I will 240 we got that no problem right I will say that's on the Braves ownership is that I don't I would say no simply because I think the other teams have ownerships that are more willing to do what it takes to win than the Braves ownership has ever indicated
0: there's no question that everything flows from the top down it will be very interesting to see what Braves ownership decides to do when those years come around right now though again defending NLE's champions a really talented core of both young players and some savvy veterans at the big league level and a really good system that's ready to provide more. I want to dive into that system. We've seen, again, Austin Riley, or excuse me, Ronald Acuna, Ozzie Albies, even guys like Sean Newcomb, who who is
1: another that, top that's, prospect. I was going to say, I don't want to interrupt you, but that's something that does stand out. The, the key other thing to me, the key development was, and this is useful as we talk about these Braves going forward, Mike Fultoniewicz, Sean Newcomb. Sean Newcomb had a great first half kind of tailed off. Mike fulton Awitz at the end of the year, that year was outstanding. And what, part partly what stands out from that is, is it's a reminder. Occasionally there is a rookie pitcher who shows up and from day one just sets the world on fire. But it's a lot more common that a guy comes up, shows flashes, you'll see some greatness, combined with some pull your hair out, man, that was a rough outing. Fulton Awitz and Newcomb, you wrote about this. You went down there and talked to them. There's something about getting that under behind you to where you can take that step forward. And the key thing to me going forward is, is because they have Fulton Awitz, Newcomb, and Gossman, it, and Julio Tehran still to an around, extent, it gives them an opportunity that these many, many young, impressive pitching prospects they have are not going to be expected be the ace right away. They're going to be the number four, number five starter, which is very useful.
0: No question about it. A lot of those pitchers were in consideration for that number Mm -hmm. one spot. At the end of the day, Austin Riley uh, was named the Braves' number one prospect by yourself. First question, how close was it? Second question, what was the overall consensus among the evaluators you spoke with that ultimately pushed Riley over the top?
1: Well, a couple things. It involves very close. I mean, the reality of it is, is that I do look at this Brave system right now, and I would say that the top eight prospects are all pretty closely bunched together. Um, you have Riley at the top. You have then basically pitchers from two to six, and then you have the pair of high, uh, you know, interesting uh, young outfielders in Drew Waters and Christian Boshay. You put that together, and Pachet's eight, and the gap between Austin Riley and Christian Pache isn't that far, And I can find you guys who believe Christian Pache is better. I can find you scouts who are like, "I, I would take Pache. Um, you know I would find you more. I think they would say I would take Riley." The advantages Riley has is, um, for one, he, he credit to him, and I think that this is something vital that is important for him going forward too, because it already demonstrates something that is going to be useful for him. Austin Riley is a much better prospect now than the, one, the player who showed up on day one as a Brave. And you cannot entirely extrapolate that, but you can take some things from that, which is, this is a player who, as he has weaknesses, and they are demonstrated to him, he has shown the ability to do the hard work To improve them what's the biggest weakness he improved for he was not going to be a third baseman the way his body was he was not going to be a third baseman going forward you go back and look at austin riley high school pitching prospect who also had some power and he was a guy who was a soft-bodied first baseman there was no other way to put it and he has turned himself by excellent work on conditioning and diet He has turned himself into an athletic third baseman. Now, again, when I say athletic, this is not Matt Chapman over there. But this is a guy who has a chance to be an above-average defender. Again, would you want to take extrapolation? I'm not comparing him to Nolan Arenado because he's not as good as Nolan Arenado. Very few are. Very few are. But one of the things that was noteworthy about Nolan Arenado is that Nolan Arenado, first day as a pro, was not a guy who was going to be an everyday third baseman in the big leagues. He had to work really hard, and he put in the hard work. And the fact that he did that was a demonstration of his ability, of his work ethic, of his uh, ability to basically take, you know, eschew the easy and go for the hard. And that is something that is useful for you going forward. Austin Riley's demonstrated that. Austin Riley really has a faster bat now because he's a better athlete than he did when he arrived. Again, I'm not saying it's Gary Sheffield bat speed, but, and, and Austin Riley has shown, you know, he's, he has reached triple A, and if you throw out, again, he always has a little bit of an acclimation period, but also he had an injury last year.
0: Knee injury hampered him. I, another thing I wrote about with him.
1: Right, but if you look at Austin Riley, when he was back in a groove at the end of the year, he was mashing again, and now again... Donaldson's arrival means I don't know exactly where Riley fits. If you want him to be a uh, 40 defender in left field, maybe he can do that. That's what your hope um, that maybe or right field, depending on right field's a little smaller in uh, you know at uh, SunTrust than uh, than left. So maybe it's right field. He has the arm for it. So you put Acuna in wherever spot is more challenging and put Riley in the less challenging one. But maybe he can do that. But um, but again, like you are talking about a. I really do believe a middle of the order bat. Um, He's got a strikeout a little bit, but you know, again, I got questions in the chat, like, he's always had a frightening strikeout rate. No, he hasn't. It's been a power hitter, a young power hitter strikeout rate, right in the line with kind of what you expect to see for that. He's always drawn a few, you know, some walks to go with it. And again, good defensive first, third baseman, Who's going to you know has a chance to hit twenty five to thirty homers is a very very valuable player.
0: Yeah, looking at that strikeout rate, it was twenty eight point three percent last year between mostly double A and triple A. That's right in line with a lot of other power hitters. When you start talking about thirty and above in the minor leagues, that's when it starts to get scary. But twenty eight, that's in line with Cody Bellinger's. I remember Mm -hmm. looking at his. You know, again, is Cody Bellinger ever going to hit three hundred in the major leagues? No, but two sixty plus with thirty plus home runs while playing. Admittedly, Gold Glove defense—that's an All Star—and Austin Riley has a chance to do take, that at third base. Take a look
1: at Chris Bryant's strikeout rates. Again, we're talking about a guy. You know, again, this is not something where you say, you know, that's not a concern. It is a concern, but it's a pretty minor concern. And the other thing that we do have to remember with Austin Riley that is significant is, is just look at—he will turn 22 basically right around opening day. He will play all next year as a 22-year-old. If he ends up only, you know, spending most of next year at A and gets up late in the season, he's still going to be one of the younger players, you know, in the big leagues when he arrives. That's, that's, a, you know, that's, a, that's a very good player to have as your number one prospect. No question about it.
0: You mentioned it was still close, though. So you have this really good group of arms. Um, Ian Anderson was the pitcher ultimately put at the head of that group. How many times did you flip those two? Oh. And at the end of the day, was it a, you know, you made the decision the final day, or was it, you know, with a week to spare, you it, it had emerged that Riley was the guy. Just
1: how down to the wire did it come? Riley, Riley at number one was actually easier. Picking him at number one was easier than deciding how to line up the pitchers from two to six. Um, because that is where you really you talk to 10 different people in the game and you might get 10 different combinations so in that regard what made anderson the top of the group if mike soroka had not i mean if it had not been for the the fact that he missed significant time that kept getting longer with the shoulder injury and again now i don't want to over dramatize this he was not cut on he was back on the mound at the end of the year you know better safe than sorry so i don't want to make this sound like but but that is Anytime a pitcher misses significant time with shoulder, cons- any, shoulder, shoulder anything. anything, shoulder fatigue, shoulder pain, shoulder concern, whatever. Shoulder it is. strain, yeah. shoulder instability, you could, you know, a thousand ways you can describe it. You have a concern. And so, if it had not been for that, Mike Soroka to me is their best combination of stuff. And again, I've always said with Mike Soroka, the thing with Mike Soroka is, is that There are guys here who have a better chance to be a number one than Mike Soroka, but Mike Soroka has a really good, really good chance to be a number three for a very long time, maybe a number two. Ian Anderson has that chance to be a number one um, if it all comes together. Cold-weather pitcher who's moved really quite quickly for a guy that, you know, considering his background, Um, bat-missing stuff when he's on, and really has had a pretty straightforward development path so far. Um, not a whole lot of hiccups. You know, you compare him to a guy like, again, we're going to talk about probably Tuki Toussaint, who's number five on this list. And and the thing with Tuki Toussaint is, is like, pure stuff. He's probably the best pitcher on this list. Um, but look at his career progression and compare it to Eden Anderson's. And and Anderson's has been a, uh, a much more, if Toussaint's kind of looks like a uh, uh, you know, if you're charting it, it you kind of has ups lying. and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. And, and Anderson's is like a, just a steady ascent. Um, and again, that doesn't mean there are pitchers who have ups and downs who end up being great. But, but it is notable with Anderson just how polished he is, the stuff's really good. Uh, he has a bat missing fastball. But then, again, part of it is just how quickly he has developed. One of the things about Ian
0: Anderson that stood out to me when I saw him at Danville in 2016, uh, taking you inside the locker room here, folks. I'm sorry if this is TMI, but seeing with his shirt off, he was very, very skinny, like alarmingly skinny. And in that sense, it was kind of amazing that he could be that skinny and still hold 92, 93 and touch 96 as he did that day. Um, how has he progressed just in terms of strength and, and, and kind of growing into his frame?
1: Getting there. I would still say that there is room to go. Um, you know, you can tell that basically uh, strength, and, you know, strength training has been, has been useful for him, but at the same time, he's not the guy he's going to be. Again, we're talking about a guy who— He's 20. Know, his, he will turn 21 during the nineteen season. You know, high school pitcher out of New York— his best days are five, six, seven, eight years from now, very possibly. And again, that doesn't mean he may not be ready to pitch in the big leagues at some point at the end of 2019. But he is still a guy who, you know, his best days are, are still well ahead of him. And, I mean, this is the fascinating conundrum that the Braves are going to have is they have, right now, barring some other offseason move, we just talked about rotation. We just mentioned four veterans at Four veterans who are, if they're healthy, fulton Awitz, Tehran, Gossman, Newcomb, they're there. They're not going into spring training competing for spots. Those guys are there. So there's one spot, take your pick. Let's say it's Mike Soroka. Okay, so we take Mike Soroka out of this for a minute. And then we say, okay, so who's gonna be in AAA for the Braves in the rotation? And then we go, okay. So, we've got Kyle Wright, who was there last year. Makes sense. Bryce Wilson, who was there last year. Makes sense. Tukey Toussaint, who was there last year. Makes sense. You know, I, you could make an argument for Ian Anderson. Not going to be there. He's going to be in double-A. But by midseason, he could be there. Luis Gohara, if he's not in the bullpen, at you know. By the way, we haven't talked about Patrick Weigel, who was one of the better pitching prospects in system for TJ. And he's back on the mound. And... Was in AAA before he got hurt, so it would be logical that he would be in a AAA rotation to start the year. You start, you can pretty easily map out a rotation at AAA and Double A where it's like everyone's a prospect, and that's even if they take a couple of guys and say we're going to put them in the big league bullpen. Because again, that's not talking about Max Freed, you know, who's already been up and graduated from uh, from prospect status. We saw him pitch out of the bullpen in the postseason. There's a sense that that might be the role moving forward. Right. You know, again, Gohara could be in that. You know, The pitching depth that the Braves have at the upper levels of the minors is extremely enviable um, and is something where some of these guys are going to end up in bullpen because you would rather have a guy helping your big league club rather than stagnating for, in some cases, maybe a couple of years in AAA. That said, they also did get starts last year with a pretty healthy rotation and by the way, that rotation last year of all those guys we just talked about were there, plus Anibal Sanchez. And they still got starts for Soroka and Wright and Toussaint and Wilson. You know, they, sorry, Wright, I don't know if I remember if he got a start. But those guys and Freed and Gohara all made starts. So there will be mix and match, you know, plug and play. But there's not going to be 20 starts for this guy and this guy and this guy. The guy who's probably
0: the most fascinating and draws the most interest among a lot of Braves fans is Tukey Toussaint. Reached the majors last year and you know he comes out and has this fantastic debut and people start screaming, how is he not top 100? You have always said that you've probably been on the more skeptical side of Tukey just having seen all the ups and downs. On the one hand, he's 22, he got to the majors and showed some real stuff. We also saw the issue though. He walked six and a half per nine innings when he got up there. Uh, You know, in the postseason, again, there was one hit and no runs allowed. There was also four walks to two strikeouts. Clearly, it's electric stuff. When he finds a strike zone, guys do not hit it. But there's a lot of time not in the strike zone. I want to start with what, first of all, are the reasons to believe that Tukey has finally made the, quote-unquote, the leap. Because he did show improved control in the minors. And then we kind of laid out the reasons to be skeptical. He's really made, quote-unquote, the leap. I just overall, after this most recent season, how do you see Tuki Toussaint and, and what his future is?
1: And this may be tough for Toussaint because we just talked about Mike Fultoniewicz, who arrived in the big leagues as someone with massive amount of potential, but, you know, some further refinement needed. I think you could say the same thing about Toussaint. The difference was is Fultoniewicz was being handed the ball every fifth day for bad teams. And it's going to be harder for the Braves to do that as they battle for, uh, for penance. I think that, that, again, we talk about Tukey Toussaint's been around for quite a while. I, you know, it's, it's several years ago. I remember the winter meetings that's like, wait, you know, the Dansby-Swanson trade, which was the follow-up to, wait, during the season there was the... the Bronson Arroyo, Tukey Toussaint, Phil Gosselin. Yeah, it's like the Braves basically just purchased Tukey Toussaint, the, a first-round pick. How do you get to do that? You know... He's twenty two. So if he was in a system, a rebuilding organization, if he was on the Royals, if he was even on the Padres, he'd, be,
0: he'd be in that line in that starting rotation day. You one would hand in him the ball City.
1: and you would say, I don't care if your ERA is ten because you're walking eight per nine in your first five starts. Don't worry, you will be in our rotation in May. And given that opportunity I think that you're gonna, you would see some very good things from Toussaint. Um, his, you know, why can you feel optimistic? For one, his, he, it was always a two-pitch mix. Now his three-pitch mix is really good. For another, his stretches of consistency are better now than they used to be. Again, I'll throw out that he had a couple you know, of, of rough outings you know, at, the, at the big league level you know, in a very brief stint there, but... He has shown steadily improving control. That said, there are still some components of his delivery that are things that will probably lead him to need further reps to uh, you know, he's very athletic. I do think he will, I think there's a very good likelihood that eventually he will get there. I just think that there's gonna be more ups and downs with that. Tuki Toussaint on a day where he's on and he's locating his fastball and his breaking ball and his changeup. He, no one's going to hit him. Tuki Dusan on the days where he's not locating the fastball is going to have some rough outings. Um, again, you compare him to a Mike Soroka. I think that the Mike Soroka start in start out is going to be much more consistent. I think the highs with Tuki Tucson are going to be higher than the highs with Mike Soroka. You know the Fultoneit's
0: uh, discussion is interesting. You talk about two guys with electric stuff. You know was looking back. When he was struggling with the Astros, his walk rates were in the threes, 3.4, 3.0. His problem was he was getting hit. His problem it was, was getting, his
1: secondaries were never as good as, as, as Tukey's. He was getting hit.
0: So it, it's kind of that you know, component, okay, what do you want to grow? Do you want to go grow with the guy who throws strikes and he's just getting hit a little bit and you can work with that? Or do you want to go the guy that's unhittable when he's in the strike zone, but he's not in the strike zone very often? Which would you prefer there? And it's, I, think, I think it's an interesting debate, and I don't really know the clear answer.
1: I I don't think there is a clear answer. It really is case by case. Because, again, it is case by case. You know, I've had people give me analogies. You know, the default guy that we could go to on this now, who, if you said, give an example of a guy whose wildness always leads to some inconsistency, and he's never fully put it behind him, but has had stretches of dominance, is Chris Archer. Like, Chris Chris Archer had, like, go back to Chris Archer in the minors. And there are walk rates that frighten you, but Chris Archer steadily got better. That said, he also his his control is still less than it would need to be for him to really be that front of the rotation ace. Um, Gio Gonzalez is another guy who you could kind of you know who's always struck out guys, who's always had stuff. And again, you I don't want to compare. Like, I'm not comparing. You know, but like, just talking about guys who fit in the phylum of guys who, the wildness at times was something that was kind of the hindrance between them. The old time example of that is, is you know, when I just said it about Tuki Toussaint and when he's on, no one's going to hit him. Edison Volquez is the uh, is the <laughs> all time in the archetype for a long time. You know, yep. but again, like, if Tuki Toussaint had Edison Volquez's career.
0: That would be nothing to be ashamed of. There's
1: is, there is nothing to be upset about. Oh, no. I played 13 years in the majors, you know, and. Man, an all star game. Or the more? World I World mean, because again, he's not a no hitter.
0: Yeah, no, there, there's a lot there. The inconsistency has been maddening. And when you're covering a game Edison Volquez starts, as I got to do when he was with San Diego and again, the World Baseball Classic, you want to tear your hair out because he takes forever. But. Yes, there's a career there that you can be happy of and proud of, even with some ugly walk rates uh, over the course of his career.
1: And the thing about it is, is, is that he is a guy, you know, Volquez has always been a guy who, at his best, when he's on, he could walk three and a half, four guys per nine and be successful. It's when he's walking five per nine that all of a sudden it becomes a real problem. So Anderson and Tukey are, are clearly
0: two of the most interesting guys in this group. Does the two outfielders, Drew, pa- Drew Waters, Kristen Pache. Um... What was that debate like, and how close was it with those two?
1: That's really close. Um, It really comes down to Pache's defense is better. Pache's defense is exceptional. And there is a floor with him because of that that's really high. Um, Because Christian Pache's floor is going to be that he is going to be a plus-plus defender in center field. That's very valuable. Then the question becomes, okay, how much is he going to hit? And Christian Pache, the hitter, he's got athleticism. He's got tools. We saw a power bump last year. All those things are good. That said, he has a long way to go as a hitter. Um, Whereas Drew Waters has a chance to be a plus defender in the corner, probably average, maybe above average in center. But he's also a much further along hitter. I really am much more confident in his bat. And again, if you want the floor of the defense, I get it. And you could say Christian Pache. If you are highly confident that Christian Pache is going to make a pretty significant leap as a hitter because of his athleticism, because of his uh, you know, work ethic, all that, I get it. The thing that I do struggle with that is, is that I've been covering, again, minor leaguers for a very, very long time. And athleticism gives you a lot of things. Athleticism does not by itself make you an excellent hitter, generally. There are a lot of exceptional athletes who do not turn. Again, there are guys who are late bloomers. Lorenzo Cain was an exceptional athlete who got better and better and better as a hitter. That happens. But there are a lot of guys over the years you know, again, going back, like, again, I think Christian Pache is better than this. I don't, for some reason, I'm on Royals right now. Derek Robinson was an exceptional athlete, but he never, you know, and great defender, but the tools never, you know, and again, Christian Pache is a better hitter than that. But that said, Christian Pasha has a good bit of work to do as a hitter to be more than, he doesn't strike, he doesn't walk, so that which is tough for a top-of-the-order profile, and he doesn't hit for a whole lot of power, and he strikes out a decent a bit. The you others? know, you put all the things together. And again, he's young. He's very young. 19 got to double A. But there are several things left on the to do list. And again, if you, you know, you can craft an, an argument for him much higher on this list. You can also craft him at eight. I think they have, I mean, I think every one of these guys we are talking about has a case for the top 100. So something that was interesting to me about Christian Pache, uh, two things
0: that stood out to me. The first one was, Talk about the athleticism and the things you can do to kind of enhance your offensive game. He was really, really good sealing bags at Rome last year. This year, was seven for fifteen. It was not very good once he started facing pitchers who knew how to hold guys on, catchers who can make accurate throws. And when you say even very good at Rome, stole, stole thirty-two bags, thirty-two out of forty-six. It's still that's pretty solid. That's solid, but that is not. It's not elite, but it was. It was. Look a, at
1: compare that to Drew Waters.
0: And that's the other part I want to get to. We think of Waters as this, you know hit, hit, hit guy, he was 23 for 28 stealing bags this year. There's something there, you right. know. Right,
1: his, his, his value on the base pass is a little bit more than, you know.
0: The, the other thing that stood out to me about Pache, and this was just me just making calls throughout the year, something I thought was interesting. Oh, as you know, a lot of scouts are guys who played in the minors. A lot of scouts are guys who played, you know, or who coached college ball and maybe some minor league ball. And there's other scouts who reach the big leagues. The scouts I spoke with who were former big leaguers, were a little bit lower on Pache than the scouts I spoke with who, you know, had maybe played the minors, Why or came from an amateur background. My theory, and I didn't dig in with this much as I should have, is the big leaguers know what big league hitters look like. And I think a lot of times we see the amateur scouts, and sometimes the guys who are career minor leaguers, betting on the tools, betting on the tools, which is never a bad thing to do. Um, but at the end of the day, the ex big leaguers know what big league hitters are, and what they can do. I just thought it was kind of interesting Dynamic that I the, kind of accidentally stumbled on this year.
1: The one other thing, interesting thing that that did play a part in how I ranked is is that one thing when I talked to front offices around baseball is they felt like that Pache, if, if they had worked out a trade, Pache was available. You know, I got the same. Is yes. that is that that the Braves? Not that they wanted just to they did not just want to get rid of Christian Pache but that they viewed it as he was more available than some of these other players we were talking about. And that's something which again, it's, almost, it's a minor factor, but that's, that should be a factor in how we do rankings. That's the insights we're trying to provide for you is that we have these insights. And again, that's not one front office. That was, you got the same thing. I got that from multiple front offices is the same. Sure. If you said who were the Braves willing to Deal in a trade. Christian Pasha was one of the guys who they were very willing to deal.
0: Absolutely. This is a strong top ten. The Braves will once again be one of the top systems in baseball. Luis Gohara came in at ten. Was he the clear ten? I mean, how many guys were in the mix? I, I would have, I, let me frame it this way. How many guys on this list were on here, no questions asked, then how many other
1: guys were kind of, you know, eligible to fill out the back? Nine. Nine guys, like Contreras at nine, no, absolutely on here. And then Gohara, it's like, okay, we're going to give you a, we're going to give you basically one mulligan. Terrible year, a lot of uh, off-field stuff with his family and all. That's understandably difficult to deal with. So, okay, the stuff's the stuff. What or at least the stuff that we saw two years ago was the stuff. Took a significant step back last year, but let's see. But you could make some arguments for other guys at 10. But Was the other the one guy, two guy, three guys? Um, two to three. Again, like Patrick Weigel, I, I'd say once you get to that point, you're talking about guys who, no, you weren't going to really make the case for. Um, but Kyle Muller, Joey Wentz, yeah, you can make that case. I mean, Colby Allard. He's, he's still around. and got to the majors. By the way, Colby Allard, when we talk about AAA rotations, another guy, you know, like... He, he, he had a really good year in the I.L. last year. You know, again, we, this, the, the depth is pretty sick. The thing that is notable as we kind of wrap this up is where the Braves, if you are a Braves fan and you want to have something to stress out about. I'll, I've gone, I think I've tweeted this. I know, you know, like I think I said it in the chat. If you told me that the Braves had a bottom five system, bottom 10 system especially, in 2021, would not surprise me at all. Almost everyone we are talking about should hit the majors by 2020, 2021 at the latest. And there is, right now, they're going to have two picks. They didn't sign Carter Stewart, so they have two first-round picks next year. That'll help. But the international sanctions that hit them, that basically they lost an international class and they haven't really had a chance to have any kind of international classes since then, Are significant and those are those penalties are going to continue to hurt them they have not they are not basically their 19 slash 20 class is going to be non-existent because of that or it's going to be only the bargain of bargain basements their draft picks are going to start being at the bottom of the first round absolutely you know so this is the last this is the last bite of the apple they have of drafting high because they get the carter stewart pick assuming that you know there is a grievance there assuming that some that that goes as has normally gone. I'm not making any judgments on the grievance. I'm just saying, normally when a team you know, has that player, that situation you know, is not that much different than what we saw with, uh, with Brady Aiken. As far as there was a medical, you know, there was an offer. Uh, assuming that they keep that pick, you know, then, that, then they will have one more high pick. But again, they're gonna pick late, The the depth of this system at the lower levels is
0: very thin. I went up to Danville for the third straight year last year, and that was easily the worst Danville team
1: I've seen. I talked to people who saw instructs for them and said there was not a whole lot to see. You ask about, okay, so who are the shortstops in the system? And you run out of guys very quickly, which is kind of something that you expect. You know, the the Braves usually have several of those in the system. Um, You know, it's really... A.J. Grafenino is probably the only shortstop they have in the system that projects as potentially a big league shortstop. Now again, they don't need one right now. They have, you know, they have uh, Swanson and Albies and, and way, Camargo. Camargo, so they don't need one. But that said, these are all things where you say, okay, if, if pretty much everyone from one to six on this top 10 has graduated by 2020, which I think is very likely. And let's say that Pache, who's in AA, has graduated. And Gohara, who's 10, and some of these guys in the 11th through 20, you throw that all together, and no, this is, you know, again, this could thin out very quickly. Now, understandably, you know, when I say that, look, you know, we're Baseball America. We love prospects. If you have a bottom 10 farm system on a team that's battling for their third or fourth uh, NLE's title in a row, you know, that's just very possible. And That's the that's point. The point. the point is to win games at the big league level, and they would have done that. And, again, I say it again. Every one of these teams has a window. When you hear a GM say, we expect to be competitive year in, year out, yeah, you want to. I haven't seen a team that can do it. I mean, anyone. Even
0: the Yankees and Red, the Red Sox, Sox had, the had, do- you know, had like, small falls.
1: Like, I can, I can see an end date for the Astros. I can see an end date for the Dodgers. Like, again, like, all of these, the reality of it is, is the demands in the 21st century of winning at the big league level require that you, the draft system now does not allow you to work around picking late like it used to. And so that's a penalty. And now you have the international. The international caps as well. does not allow you to work around that. So that makes it harder. And the reality of it is is you have to trade prospects to help your big league club when you are winning. That's the way you do it. And all those things together work that you win, you succeed, and then you probably tail off. I mean, look, the Cubs I don't know if you could do it much better than the way the Cubs did as far as developing, you know, they, uh, they, they, hit on, they had five top ten picks in a row. And they hit on pretty much all of them. They hit on five of them. Yeah. They signed Gleber Torres and Eloy Jimenez in the same international class at that same time. You can't do it much better than that at the minor league level. Again, they don't develop pitching, but you know what? If you hit on hitter after hitter like that, you can do that. They hit on some pitching and trades, though. Jake Arrieta, Kyle Hendricks. They did. Yes. You do all that. There's an end date coming. The pitching, they've spent a lot of money on pitching, but all of a sudden these position players are now getting expensive. Chris Bryant's going to be a lot more expensive in 2021, 2022 than he was in 2016. Same with Javier Baez. Javier Baez, and we can keep going down the list. These teams all have end dates. The Braves are right at the start of their cycle of success. There's gonna be an end date for this, but that's okay. That's baseball in the 21st century.
0: And like I'd say you know, to a lot of people, I, you know, I look back at you know, the Rangers are a great example. If I went to any Rangers fan at the start of 2010, a team that had been to the playoffs three times in their history, had never made a World Series, said, all right guys, you're gonna make the playoffs five times in the next seven years, but the kicker is after that, you're gonna be down for a little while. Every single Texas Rangers fan would have said, absolutely, I will take that trade. And it was the right thing to do. They made two World
1: Series, had a great run. And, and now fan, but, but, but now teams are now those fans are like, what's gone wrong? It's like what's gone wrong is is that you had a it window. Happens. And and you've got to keep it in perspective with the Braves. What's gone the... wrong is is that sorry to interrupt, but what's gone wrong is is that almost every one of those top prospects you had is with very few exceptions is playing for someone else now. You know, and you did that because you were trying to extend your window. I mean, again, that hickory team that we saw years ago, they're pretty much all big leaguers now. That's really good. Now some of them have Lewis Brinson has not performed at the big league level, but But he's there. But he's there and Joey Gallo is there and Jorge is there. Far is there. And you know, you could keep going down the line, but they're playing for the Marlins and the Phillies and now the Athletics. And you know, like they're that's what happens.
0: And we'll see, but the Braves are in a great place and I think we will see them continuing to win for years to come. JJ, thanks so much for your insight as always. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody.